Welcome to DC Podcast. I'm Russell, and joining me today is... Barrett. Barrett. How old are you? Eight. Eight. And Barrett, you are co-hosting this podcast because Sean, who's normally in that chair, is out on assignment. And I have an eight-year-old like you helping me because today we're talking about what? Uh, apologetics. Apologetics, particularly apologetics... For, for kids? For kids, yeah. And can kids, like, let's back up. What what does apologetics mean? Defending the gospel, hoping that someone will be converted. That's right. And that is a really good answer. It's almost like I told you the answer before we recorded the show. But I actually didn't. You meant, Where did you learn that? Did you pick that up in Sunday school? Uh, yeah. Cool. I and was, from all the times that you've teached it. Yeah, I was impressed. By your quickness on that one. But yeah, can kids do apologetics? Yeah. So kids can defend the gospel and try and hopefully uh, see that as the means that God changes people's hearts. Now, in particular, there are a lot of resources out there helping kids to do apologetics, to defend the gospel, to uh, to think about the gospel uh, from a some sort of a worldview perspective. And some of those resources are really good. Some of them are not so good. And today I'd like to talk about something that I think is really fundamental to helping kids to defend their faith, and that is discipleship and evangelism. What's discipleship, Barrett? Um, it is like to teach people the gospel by doing it, what God says to command. Yeah, I, I actually think that's pretty close. I would say discipleship is teaching people the gospel and teaching them to follow Jesus, right? And evangelism is the first part of that. That's where they go from being an unbeliever to a Christian. And then you continue to teach them and show them what it looks like to live in light of the gospel and help them learn to follow Jesus. That's discipleship. And I'm saying that apologetics is important. Knowing arguments for the existence of God and uh, arguments that give us good reason to believe the Bible is true, so on and so forth. All of that is great. But more importantly, if our kids aren't being discipled well and we're not evangelizing our children, we are going to have no foundation to build those type of apologetic arguments on. So there's this thing going on in the church, Barrett. I don't know if you're aware, but the broader evangelical church, a lot of kids like you who grow up in Christian homes and Christian churches become teenagers and then teenagers leave their homes and often go to college. And in college, these kids are taking what they used to profess Christianity while they're turning away from Christianity and saying, yeah, we don't believe that anymore. And so a lot of people are kind of looking around and saying, well, what's going on? And many are answering that question with, well, we need better apologetics training. We need to train our kids to know good arguments for God's existence and to be able to debate with their professors who are atheists and who are challenging the Christian worldview. Now, some of that might be true, but can you go from being a Christian to deciding to not be a Christian anymore? No. What do you mean? You can't, like, become a Christian and then not be a Christian, because once the Holy Spirit comes into your heart, once you're a Christian, he can't leave your heart. Yeah, so God is faithful, right? And so if he chooses to save us, then he's not going to just suddenly abandon us, right? Yeah. So what does that mean about these kids who go off to college and suddenly say, well, I'm not a Christian anymore? That means they were never a Christian. It means they weren't Christians to begin with. How's that tea, by the way? 
good. Is it good for a rainy day like this? Kind of help with the vocal cords? Yeah. Good. So if the kids that we're talking about who are leaving the faith, they were never Christians to begin with. I think we need something much more foundational than just good apologetic arguments that they can bounce around with their atheist professors. I think the problem is rooted in the church and it's rooted in our discipleship and our evangelism of our young people. So one of the things that I see going on here, Barrett, is that the evangelical church has taken a view of the church, which practically has led to a lot of unbelievers existing within the congregation for long periods of time without ever recognizing that they're not really Christians. Why might that be? Because the it could be that the church is not a good church. Yeah, and what would it be about the church that's so unhelpful that people who are not Christians can sit there and never realize they're not Christians? Because they never tell stuff that, they never t- tell anyone stuff that they won't like. Yeah, I think that's actually exactly right. I think there are a lot of uh, streams of evangelical thought that say it's really important that we never make anybody uncomfortable in church. We don't ever want to teach truths from Scripture that might be hard to hear. What's something that might be hard to hear in Scripture? Like that you are of sin and we are a sinner. Yeah, that you're a sinner. And if you're a sinner, what do you need to do? That you need to repent. you got to repent. And that means submitting everything to Christ. It means taking all of your sins, even your precious little pet sins that you love and killing them and giving your life over to Jesus. And that can be really hard. And if we have churches that are preaching and teaching the full counsel of God, you're going to run into that stuff. And you're going to be told to examine your heart and you're going to be asked challenging questions and you will be convicted. And for many people who refuse to submit to God, who are hardened in their hearts and they don't they don't want to give up their sin if they sit in a church that does that what's eventually going to happen they're not going to be a christian well let's let's say that their heart is hardened and they won't become a christian what will they do instead instead of sitting there listening to that preaching they're going to leave yeah so they'll leave but if you soften your message and you don't preach the full counsel of god and you tell half truths and you never make anyone uncomfortable they'll stay But you'll have no idea who among the body there is actually a Christian and who isn't. And then is it any surprise that when those young people go off to college and say suddenly, I'm not a Christian anymore because it's not popular and cool to be a Christian on my campus. Should that surprise us? Mm, Kind of. How? It should make us sad. Yeah. But if we never really saw any evidence of them being a Christian to begin with, it really shouldn't surprise us, right? So here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that this begins with discipleship and no matter how many good arguments for God's existence you might have, ultimately, if we're not evangelizing and discipling our children, we're setting them up to walk away from the faith, so to speak, later in life. Now, did you know that the Bible talks about discipling your kids? Yeah. Okay. Give me a verse for memory. Go. I don't have any. Okay. Let's try Proverbs 22.6. So here's a verse that talks about children. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. How does that relate to what we're talking about? To like train your children to, as they grow, stay Christians? Yeah. If you train your... become Christians? So if you train your child in the ways of God, teach them about God early on, then you're setting them up to follow that path for the rest of their life. Now, does that mean if you teach your kids the right things that no matter what, they'll become Christians? 
No. No. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But it is saying that if you set them on the right path and point them in the right direction, then they will stay on that path even as they grow older. Deuteronomy 6, verses 6 and 7 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. How does that have anything to do with what we're saying now? Like to disciple your children? Yeah, so this is after God has given commands... He says, these will be on your heart and you'll teach them to your kids. You'll talk about them when you're sitting around the house. You'll talk about about them when you're walking your kids to school. He's saying that these truths should be part of your daily life and you should be communicating them and teaching them to your children regularly. That's a command from God. Who does he say should do that? Your parents. Ah, yeah, me, right? We're going to get to that too. All right, Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. So what are you like? You're a child, and this says children are like... Arrows? Arrows. Not just arrows, arrows in the hand of a warrior. What does a warrior do with arrows? He shoots them and he puts them on targets. He does things that are powerful and effective with arrows. So God is saying your children are a gift and you need to steward that gift responsibly. And if you do so, you can send your children out in the world to do pretty great things. Okay, now, with those scriptural verses in mind, let's talk real quick about my suggestions for how we as parents can think better about evangelizing and discipling our kids. Are you ready for this? Okay, I have seven things. Did I say that already? Seven items on my list. Number one, don't assume your children are believers. I'll say that again. Number one, do not assume that your child or your children are believers. Now that can be hard to hear. People don't want to hear that their children might not be saved. People don't want to hear that little Johnny, even though he can recite the Lord's Prayer and he says he has faith in Jesus at four years old, might not be saved. That's a hard pill to swallow. But are the children, for example, Barrett, at our church, can we say for certain that all of them are are believers? No. No. Could it be that some of those children, since a very young age, have had real faith and repentance in Christ? Yeah. Yeah. But how can we tell the difference? It's hard with little kids, right? Why might a little kid say the things that make it sound like he's a Christian? Because their parents tell them to. Their parents might tell them to. Maybe their parents don't tell them to, but the kid is just smart enough to realize that if I say I believe in Jesus... You'll, like, make your parents happy. Yeah, it'll make my parents happy. Or, check this out, what if I'm six and I see all my other little six-year-old friends getting baptized? You would want to get baptized, too. That's right. So what tends to happen is... It was because we want so much for our children to show evidence of conversion. We want to know that they're secure in the Lord. So we start kind of pushing that on them even when we're not seeing credible professions of faith because they're too young to see that or evidence of God's grace in their hearts. So what do we do? Do we just treat all of our kids like they're dirty little heathens that are enemies of God? No. What do we do? We try and let them be Christians and disciple them. Yeah, we constantly preach the gospel to our kids, call them to repentance and faith, and we hopefully and prayerfully seek their conversion 
and and we look for evidence of their conversion so we look for the evidence of god's grace in their behaviors and in their actions and when we see it we can encourage it we can we can tell them we see it number two remember that you're responsible for discipling your own kids you are responsible for discipling your own kids so who is the you there your parents the parents are responsible for discipling the children does that mean no one can ever teach you anything else about the bible except for me nope no but what if the only time anybody taught you anything about god was that one hour of sunday school each morning on sundays would you be learning very much one hour a week not really no so Basically, what this means is that we need to take ultimate responsibility for our children's spiritual growth and knowledge. And so that means as a parent, I can't punt that responsibility to a Sunday school teacher. I can't punt that responsibility to a youth pastor. Uh, yes, there can be effective and helpful age-appropriate ministries for kids, but I'm still ultimately responsible for my child. And so that means using the time God has given us, as we saw in Deuteronomy 6, throughout the day, every day, to build up our children in the Lord. All right, number three, model faithful Christian life. So maybe instead of saying model, I could say show what it looks like to live a faithful Christian life. So do I, as your dad, and does mommy, as your mom, show you what it looks like to live a faithful Christian life? Yes. How so? Give us an example. By doing stuff that a Christian would do. Like what? Like... Praying to God. Yeah. So you see us pray? Do we pray with you too? Yeah. Yeah. Do we study the Bible? Yep. That's right. Do we, um, do you see mommy and daddy fight sometimes? Yeah. What happens at the end of our fights? You apologize. Yeah. We apologize and we forgive one another. And we're not perfect at that. And this is really important. Modeling Christian life does not mean hiding your flaws and sins from your children. It means showing them what Christians do when they sin. And mommy and I even use that language. We'll say, hey, I sinned against you and I apologize. Please forgive me or I forgive you. Um, we give grace to each other and we use that language. We're trying to show how Christians should have relationships with people. And another way we can show faithful Christian life is to attend church and prioritize the gathering of the church. So if we said, hey, Barrett, the church is really important. And then we never attended the body's gathering as the church. What would you walk away from that situation thinking? You would think you shouldn't, you should, like, thinking not to go to church. Like, it must not be very important. Yeah. Because they're saying it's important, but they're not gathering together with the church. So it must not be very important. A lot of people communicate that to their kids, right? By skipping church, by um, not gathering with the body regularly, by... Uh, prioritizing other things above gathering together. And also important, I think it's really good to have your kids attend a whole worship service in, in the same room with you and watch their mother and father sing to God and to one another, to, to pray with the congregation, to intently listen and take notes in a sermon. They're watching you feed from the word and they're learning that that's important to you and they're learning to do that as well. That doesn't mean you have to, you know, be a hardline, family-integrated worship kind of person. You don't need to abandon your church for that. But, you know, bring your kids into the, the sanctuary or the, the room that you gather in to hear the sermon and to hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word 
and give them the experience of watching you worship with God's people. Uh, next, teach them sound doctrine and theology. Have you been taught sound doctrine and theology? I've been taught theology, but theology. not sound. I don't know what sound doctrine You don't know what that is. means. Doctrine is just beliefs that we uh, hold as Christians that we that we understand from Scripture. We understand Scripture to be teaching. Do you know some of those? Talking yeah. about Yeah. Yeah, where have you learned theology before? In Here's a, a book. book. This book is called Theology little play on words. It's by Marty Mikowski and illustrated by Andy McGuire. This is an excellent book. Kind of kind of a systematic theology for kids, um, full of really interesting illustrations. And it's just short enough. And it's right at the reading level that uh, my kids at eight and 10 loved it. And I actually got a lot out of it too. But the point is, is that we're giving them the full counsel of God's word. We're teaching them a biblical theology that sort of paints a picture of the entire story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And we're, we're preparing them to understand what Christianity actually is, right? So we have a lot of young Christians in the church today that have this nebulous idea of God that can't communicate the basic gospel, um, who likely don't even understand what Christianity is. And then when they leave the church and go off into college and abandon Christianity, what they're abandoning is usually just a caricature of what Christianity actually teaches. I don't want that to happen with my kids. Um, another one we can do, do you remember this book? The Young Baptist's Catechism? You were pretty small no. when we went through this. So it has questions and answers. So we would say like question number one, who is the first and greatest of all beings? I think I might remember this. What's yeah, I remember What's this. the answer? God. God, yeah. And so then we can pull from the scriptures. We can go to Isaiah 44, 6, Psalm 8, 1, uh, Psalm 97, 9. And we can talk about who God is. We can talk about his attributes and his nature. And we can use that as a time for uh, your kids to ask difficult questions and kind of wrestle through those. Okay, next, number five. Don't religiously sterilize the subjects your kids learn in school. So here's what I mean by that. In most schools, you will be taught math and science and history and all the other subjects, and you'll be taught that those are categories of learning and thinking, and then religion is over here, and the two don't mix, right? So you have your secular way of viewing the world, and then you have your religious views, and they've got to be kept compartmentalized and separate. We don't believe that's possible. So Barrett, what subjects do you learn in school? Math, reading. Wait, let's stop at math. Do you like math? A lot. You like math a lot. You're pretty good at math. You might be better at math than I am. However, when we learn math, we are learning math understanding that the logical laws that undergird math, that give it its structure, are an attribute of God. That God created those logical laws, he upholds them, and he gave us math as a gift to be able to describe the rational order of the universe, which he also gives us. And so we think about math from a Christian point of view. And there's only two ways you can think about math. You can think about it as someone who denies God's existence, whether you mean to or not, by, by taking him out of your understanding of math, or you can think about math as a Christian. Same thing is true with science. So when we talk about the study of animals in the natural world and science, do you know what the, you know what the word for that is? The study of organisms, living things? I used to know. Starts with a buh. By... 
Biology? Biology, yeah. So when we study biology, we're studying God's design in nature. When we study history, we're studying the way God has providentially ordered the events of human history. So we always think, even in our secular uh, world in the public school system, you need to try, if at all possible, to get your kids to think through that Christian worldview. Okay, and then uh, finally here, oh, I have two more. Teach your kids to think logically and rationally. What's logic? Logic is, I forgot. The rules for how we think, oh, right? Yeah. What's a logical fallacy? Mm, a logical fallacy is... That's an easy one. You know this. Uh, it's when you make an, that's... It's when you make an error in logic, right? Yeah. An error in your thinking. Here's a book that I would recommend, uh, The Fallacy Detective. If your kids are in public school in particular, and it sounds like I'm knocking on public school, there's just a whole lot more you need to be guarding your kids against and aware of if your kids are in public school. I'm not saying you have to homeschool your kids in order to be a faithful Christian, though I'm pretty close to saying that. Uh, The Fallacy Detective is teaching kids to think logically, giving them the currency and the vocabulary and the categories for thinking rationally and logically can help them in the long run to be able to dispel and handle and refute some of the criticisms of the Christian worldview. Uh, Barrett, did you like this book? Yeah. What's a red herring? Leading someone like away from the argument. That's right. It's a fallacy, right? It's when you start talking about something else, it's maybe related to the topic, but it's not the argument you had originally. Yeah. Yeah. All right, last one. Always point your kids back to God's word, God's revelation as the ultimate standard of truth. So what does that mean, Barrett? If if the Bible is our ultimate standard, what does that mean? Like, I don't know. Well, let's think of it this way. Anytime you have two ideas that are competing, one of them is what the Bible says is true, and another idea is just something that someone else says is true, or another book says is true, or people in the world say is true, even something that maybe you thought was true for a really long time, which one of those has to win? Because they can't both be right. The Bible or the other thing? The Bible. Always. And that means it's our ultimate standard. So whenever there is an apparent contradiction between the Bible and any other source of knowledge, the Bible has to be on top. And it determines, you know, in that weighing of the two, the Bible is going to win out because it's our ultimate standard for what's real and what's not and what's true and what's not. And you always want to be pointing your kids back to that because it's so fundamental to how we think about everything. So, any questions to wrap this up with me? Any final thoughts? Uh, not really. Do you feel prepared to defend the Christian faith? Kind of. Kind of, yeah. I want to add one thought. I'm not perfect at this. Discipling my kids was not something that came naturally to me, uh, especially as a non-Christian. There was there are times when you were really little where I didn't disciple you at all. And then there's times where I just am too busy or I forget or I don't prioritize it. I mean, did we do Bible study today? No. Perfect example. So I don't want to give the impression that I've mastered this, but I've made enough mistakes and I think I've learned enough to be able to hopefully help some of you guys with kids as well. So that's all I have. Be sure to follow us on iTunes, subscribe, and uh, follow us on social media as well, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening.